Welcome to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. It has happened. I officially have a new favorite episode, an all-time favorite, and also the longest episode ever, but unapologetically, because as I talked to my guest, Nora Beringu, I just wanted to keep going. I wanted to hear about her life. Nora is a mother of three children, and we talked about motherhood, but really Nora shared so much about her childhood growing up in Uganda and growing up with the loss of a father and in poverty and hopeless, and then just a story of hope. It was such a gift to hear from her and to get to know her. I am so excited for you to hear this because I was inspired I was encouraged and I was convicted. I loved this conversation. Please find the hour that it's going to take to listen to this because it is such a gift to hear from a woman like Nora and to hear her story. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode, my conversation with my new friend, Nora Beringu. Hi, Nora. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. I just feel so excited and privileged to be able to talk to you today. I can't wait to hear your story and share your story. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk today. Thank you so much. And also thanks for inviting me. I'm so excited and looking forward to having a good time with you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's the best part of having a podcast is you get to know people that you wouldn't get to know otherwise and have these like, especially in the midst of a pandemic, these little meetings with new friends so yeah it's been tough (laughs) yeah Yeah. for sure all right so tell me tell me a little bit about your family tell me about your children your husband my husband is called godfrey sankava and we have three beautiful children i met my husband 10 years no 11 years ago and 11 years okay (laughs) yes we've been together we've been married for 10 years now and we just celebrated our 10th anniversary. Unfortunately, we were supposed to go back home in Uganda and renew our vows. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we could not make it there. But we made it special here and we had some small celebration, just the two of us. Hopefully that when the pandemic goes, we shall go back home and have a big celebration together with our family. Oh, so great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have two boys. One is nine years old. The other one is seven years. And the girl who is now four years. And yeah, they keep me so busy. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old too. And especially boys, they just have this extra dose of energy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They are too much. (laughs) So let me ask you something. Is that renewing your vows, anniversary celebration, is that something that you and your husband chose to do or would that be a cultural? No, it's not cultural. It's just something we wanted to celebrate, just the two of us, like 10 years is is big. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And we focused on inviting those people who are there for us that time when we were doing our wedding. And also, I mean, meeting our parents because it's been 10 years and they've been praying for us. So mm. that's what we thought that actually would. And also at that time, I didn't think I really had that big celebration of my wedding. Like every time things keep changing and you want to put on a new dress and something better. Yeah. <laughs> so true. 
Yeah, so I thought that at my 10th anniversary, at least I'll still feel the young girl I was at that time because I got married at 25. So I wanted to, you know, now things have changed. There are new new dresses, beautiful dresses. I've yeah, had yeah, yeah. these new ideas of having a great wedding or, or maybe on a lecture or something like that. So that's why I wanted, I really wanted it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, any excuse for a big party and a beautiful dress, feels like it's worth taking. Exactly. <laughs> if you have a reason for it, do it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, because at that time when you're doing a wedding, you have the best. But then as time goes by, you know, things change. And you're like, oh, I didn't know this happens. I didn't know we could do this. I didn't know we could do this. So yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, on our 10th anniversary, I can put all those small, small things that people are doing right now that make the, the wedding look so beautiful. Things that I miss at that sure. time, I can do them now. Yeah. Okay, so you just shared that you were going to head to Uganda to share this ceremony. And I, you know, you have this beautiful accent. So where are you right now? Where do you live? I live in Maryland, in Germantown. Yeah, this is where I live. So we're just a couple hours from, I'm in, in New Jersey. So we're probably two hours from each other. And that leaves you a world away from Uganda. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So tell us a little bit about your childhood then and, you know, from Uganda to Maryland and share a little bit of your story of your childhood in Uganda. Okay. First of all, I come from a family of six children and the mm. six. I have six children. So oh, really? I know life with six <laughs> children. Yep. <laughs> wow. That's nice. It's good to have a big family. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I grew up with my five siblings and my mother is Ugandan and my father was Rwandese. So my father was in the army and he served in the Rwandan army. So we used to live with my mother most of the time because the nature of my father's job could not allow him to be coming home and staying with us. So he could only make occasional trips. And during that time, my mother was, she was a hairdresser at one of her friend's saloons. But I think she only did that job to just keep herself busy because even then the time was not really good because of the war, because that time has born, the country was at the height of civil conflict. So she was just trying to do something. But again, there was so much insecurities, so she couldn't really earn that much. So I can't say that we totally depended on my father's job. But as time went by, my father stopped coming home and he only started spending money. But still, the support was had dwindled. And what stopped his trips was because of the civil conflict in Rwanda that led to the 1994 genocide. So time went by. And so can I can I ask you a question real quick? You know, you mentioned financial instability. What about the trauma of growing up in the midst of that. Can you speak to your experience just emotionally of being a child in the midst of civil conflict and in the midst of your father being a part of it? And I'm sure fear there. And can you speak to that a bit? It was so tough. First of all, mm -hmm. you're in a country where there are so many insecurities. You hear so-and-so was killed. So-and-so was going back home there. And then you see your mother go down to the market to work because she was a saloonist. She she used to work in a saloon. And then you're like, is she coming back? Will she be safe mm. to, be, to be home? And you can oh, imagine where she was working from was not far from where we lived, you know, but you have, you're always on, in, on tension, like, is she coming back? 
and then okay leave alone that but then our father who was then in the army yeah. it was yeah. so difficult because back then we didn't have tvs and also we were very poor so we could not even afford a tv but at least we could listen to the news because my mom was always on the news to hear what's going on in rwanda and then we start hearing that you know there are civil conflicts they've started fighting and my father was a Tutsi, and the Hutus were against the Tutsis. So my mother's always okay. on the radio. But also my father could write. He could send letters through the bus, and they could bring it. My mom could go to the bus park and get the letter and read through. And then my father could describe how the condition was there. And it was so scary. I remember my mom could oh, just okay. start crying. And then I'm like, has my father died? Has, has anything oh, happened? Oh, my goodness. Yes. But also yeah. then... Also, that feeling of not having your father in the home was very tough. Oh, that alone is a trauma. That alone is such a hard thing for a child to grow up with. But exactly. then on top of that, the fear and the are they coming back, that, that constant insecurity of what is tomorrow going to bring. Thank you. Yeah. That, that changes so the way that you think through life, I'm sure. Do you even see the effects of that now of, you know, spending so much of your life in that place of insecurity and fear? Does that affect, you know, do you have that feeling about your husband? Oh, no. Is he going to come home? Of course. It comes. You know, it comes. But then what comforts me, I'm like, okay, now I'm in America. I'm not I'm not in Africa. So it cools me down a little bit. But then if you see something going on on TV where people are being, you know, shot and all that, it comes back. You're like, oh, sure, right? sure. What do you call victim? You see that I keep calling my husband all the time. I'm like, are you okay? Are you fine? Are you coming home? What time yeah. are you reaching? You know, just to, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has never gone out of my head. It has never. I was always on tension. And I always tell people that some of the things that I really fear so much, I fear loud music because I don't like it. Mm. I also fear, those are some of the traumas that I went through. I also yeah. fear darkness. I never leave my house. In, I mean, it has to have lights. I don't care how much I'll pay for the bills. No. Yeah. I have a lot of light. And my house is always full of light because I don't like darkness. And all that comes from the trauma I had as a child. You know, absolutely. It brings you that fear in you to feel that you didn't have a father. And then you think about your children. I'm like, I'm always praying for my husband because I want my children to have their father. I want him to always be there for my children because I never had that chance. I always desired it, but it wasn't there. I was always in fear. Is my father coming back? And then when we got to know that the conflict in Rwanda had gone high, it was even terrible. And also having my brothers you know boys love their fathers so much it's very important for a father to be in a boy's life because in a way it's very i saw with my brothers they didn't really even if my mom said anything to them they didn't care but if she say that if your dad hears about that you're gonna get in trouble you could see they'll drop everything Mm. and get (laughs) in the direction you know so it really traumatized just to be there and think of the fact that you might not see your father again and then it comes to pass that actually he has been killed. Mm. That never goes mm. out of yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. So he was killed in the conflict and you received news what? How? What was it like that moment when you found that out? So one day, after like three months of not hearing from him, 
But again, my mom was always on the news and she knew everything was going on. Also, that time they had told us that we shall not to stop eating fish. Now, this is the real one. They had told us to stop eating fish in Uganda and they were saying that all the fish in the lakes had dead bodies in them. Hmm? Ah. The reason is, this is not to scare, but this is the fact, this is the truth that went through. All the bodies in Rwanda were always dumped in the lakes. So the fish were feeding on that. So when I heard that, oh my mm. goodness, it was tough. I remember I could not sleep most of the times. I always had nightmares. And yeah. one day, we were not hearing from my father was very, very, he was a very good guy. He was so caring. He always made sure that he writes to my mother to make sure that we are, that he's fine. He would, he could tell her what was going on, but time came and he couldn't send anything. So we completely stopped. And my mother never left the radio. I, I remember my mom was always like this on the radio. Sometimes you could cry. Oh desperate for any information. It must have been so hard because you don't want information is probably bad. You know, if you're yeah. hearing that things are going on, it's not mm -hmm. good news. And yet must feel so desperate just for anything without being able to hear directly. That's so true. So after like three months, we received the news. And this was one of my dad's friends. Now for him, he had gone to South Africa. He was not in Rwanda at that time when they, the war started. He's the one who came home and told my mother how my father was killed. And he was not only killed himself, he was killed with his entire family. So to hear that trauma, to just to hear the story, <laughs> the description of how they were killed, only that traumatized me. And sure. I just don't want to even imagine because it was bad. Sure, it sure. Really Nora, thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that it's still painful <laughs> to... You know, I'm asking you questions about how you felt and what happened and reliving that, I'm sure, is so painful. So your father passes. And then what does this mean for your family? Because you already said your mom was a hairdresser, but that's not what was sustaining your family. So what did this now mean besides the pain, besides the anguish and the loss? What did it mean for your family practically? Do you see like a table flipping over like this? That's how oh my family, gosh. Yeah. That's how life turned out oh, to be. Your because, life has turned upside down. Yes. Everything changed. Everything. Yeah. First of all, my mother's job was not even giving her anything. So we literally depended on our father. So when he died, we all dropped out of school. All of us, all the six of us. And I remember my brother. Was that because of the cost of school or because then you needed to work? The cost of school. My mother could not afford sure. taking all of us to school. Because remember, she had to, to pay for our school fees, the six of us. She has to feed us. She has to pay the house rent. Yeah. Medical care. I mean, okay, medical care at home. If you feel like you have a headache, she'll just go and buy some Thailand and give it to you. Or even if it's another complication. All they know is go buy Tylenol, that will be fine. So that was okay. Sure. We just have to try to make you feel better because this is all I can give you as yeah. your mother is some and, relief. And that's how most of the poor families live in Uganda. They have a very big complication going on in there. But what do they do? They don't have money. Go to the pharmacy, just buy some Tylenol, take Tylenol, you'll be fine. So that was okay because a 25 cent could buy, could buy Tylenol. So she could afford that at least. But then 
she could not afford most of the things. And I remember my brothers dropped out of school at a very young age and they started serving at building sites just to get that little money for us to survive on. And during that time, I remember as a child, I stayed home as my peers went to school. That was so traumatizing. So and loss upon loss. You've already lost your father and now you've lost yeah. your way of life. You've lost, I guess, opportunity. Exactly. I'm losing my hope. Actually, I lost hope because I grew up in a slum. And in that slum, I saw so many school dropouts that had gotten pregnant. Some of them ended up in early marriages. Let me tell you, poverty can ruin your life and you stop dreaming. I started seeing myself like those kids, I mean, those teenagers I knew, I started seeing myself becoming like them. That is my faith. Without education, this is all that is is open to me. Yes. So I I became so desperate. And on top of that, they used, I mean, the landlord was always at our door. And we got kicked out of the house almost every day. We could, yes, every day we had to get out of the house. Take out your stuff. Take them out. I mean, take it out. I don't need you. And then my mom has to run around and about to get some money. Then she brings it. Then we get back to the house. There are times when we slept out because we didn't have anywhere to go. So for me as a child, the fear of becoming illiterate and homeless were the most terrifying Mm. things a child can ever go through in life. It was terrifying. A homelessness, I guess, is that sense of security. Okay, even if everything else is taken, at least my family is together and safe. And then literacy represents hope and opportunity and potential. And I guess without those things, it, yeah, I can't even imagine how it must have felt. It was bad. It was terrible. And let me tell you, you know, some people don't believe that poverty is there. Poverty is real. For us at home, it was like a hand to mouth. And and that was only on our lucky days because there are some times when my brothers could not even get any building sites to go to. And my mother also could not have anybody to, any customer come to the salon. And maybe others get customers, but for her, maybe that day wasn't good. And they could all come back with nothing. So you can imagine, as a child, you didn't have breakfast in the morning because breakfast is very important. You didn't have lunch. You have to play and I remember as a child, I could just keep my time playing with the rest of the kids and playing and playing. So when you play, you forget and you don't feel the hunger. But now time to go back home when they have all been called back home and now you're back in your house. First of all, you first feel thirsty. You take some water and then reality kicks in. Nature comes in and the stomach starts saying, okay, I need food. You didn't have breakfast. You didn't have lunch. And then you're like, okay. Mommy and my brothers are coming back home to bring something to eat. And then they come with totally nothing. Oh, and they're like, oh, Nora. go shower and go to your bed. And which bed are you sleeping on? <laughs> the bed is not there. It's just a mat where you're going to go and fall. So you didn't have food. You didn't have breakfast. You didn't have lunch. You're not having dinner. But also where you're going to sleep is like, I don't even know how to describe it. That was life for me. I don't even know how to imagine it. <laughs> it's especially for a child, especially for just a precious child. Thank you for sharing all this. I feel like I have 
spent so much of my life seeking to build compassion in my heart for the experiences of others and remembering that God loved you as that precious child and the other precious children that you were playing with and were going home possibly hungry or fatherless as you were and but talking to you and you know you live a couple hours away from me and you I could see your beautiful face you are a human not just a story of poverty but a person who walked through this and I'm just so grateful for you yeah. just opening that piece because it's doing in my heart again what I hope God continually does, which is just build my heart for the people that he loves who don't have what I have. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that my childhood was so different from yours. And I'm glad that God was there with both of us and that you're here now in this place. And we have this same message of God being with us as we were children and loving us the whole time. Mm, So, all right. I want to ask you then what changed (laughs) because now you're sitting in Maryland and you're, you know, you have this education and what changed in your story? Where did this shift happen? So, you know, God is so amazing. I always tell people that like Romans 6 verse 28 says that everything happens for a reason and for the purpose and for the good of those who love the Lord. I think I've got it well. One day I was feeling so hungry. Actually, that day when I was waiting for my mom to bring food and there was nothing, I slept crying. Oh my goodness. I think I slept in my, I cried and just slept off till morning. When I grew and when I woke up in the morning, when I was a child, I was very, very thin. (laughs) Actually, most of my friends remember that. And I had very, very brown hair. I think also because of nutrition, there was no food and all that. But that time, yeah, I woke up and I was so hungry and I was crying. So my mom had forbidden me to go to her workplace because it involved crossing the road. And even if I was 10 years, I could not cross the road. So that day I went against that rule and I went to the salon. And so when I went there, I told her, you know what, mom? I went crying. I told her I'm hungry. And my mom ignored me, you know, African mothers. You don't joke with them. They are so tough. They are not like the American (laughs) mothers (laughs) where I see them. Oh, you go, a child comes and, oh, sweetie. Like, there's too much love. Not that our parents don't love us, but because I think they want us to know that there is this hard life. You know, life is hard. So take it slow. So when I went there, I told her, mom, I'm hungry. She didn't say anything. She just ignored me like she didn't even hear me. Fortunately, there was a guardian angel for me. And the lady she was working on, Ask her, you mean you didn't hear her say she's hungry? My mom dropped everything and she started crying. And I saw a lot of pain in my mother's eyes. She knew why I was there. She knew I was hungry. Oh my so yeah. she cried. And We're mothers. We're mothers. And so, you know, you're saying African mothers are hard. They're getting their kids ready for a hard life. She loved you. And it, it broke yeah. her that that, yeah. oh my goodness. It did. She knew I, we didn't have food at home and she saw me crying. She knew everything. And probably she was also hungry, you know? So well, yeah. the, lady, the lady got concerned and said, first of all, Nora is supposed to, I mean, when, she, my mom, when my mom dropped, I mean, cried, she told her the story and said, you know, we didn't have food last night and this is what is going on. And the lady, does she go to school? 
because again, I was not in school and I didn't also look kind of healthy. So she's like, and is she okay? And she's like, mm. yeah, she's okay, but it's only that we didn't have food. And, and you know, she doesn't go to school. She stays home. And the lady's like, what? At her age? Why isn't she in school? My mom told her that, you know, you don't have money and all that. And the woman said, do you know there is a church just there near your house, Nakar Baptist Church? It's in partnership with Compassion and they are registering children like her. Let's go there. Oh my God. We, I have chills. Yeah. We had for never. Your mother, hmm? Yeah, for your mother and for you to be sitting there yes. hungry, hopeless. She's broken by being unable to provide. And then in a moment, someone says, there's a church. Exactly. Compassion. And you can just get there and get hope. Yes. And actually, that's why I say that Roman says everything happens for a reason. I always tell people that I went hungry. We didn't have all those meals in a day just for me to catch my yeah. mirror. That was it. Oh, Probably I wouldn't have gone to my mother's salon, you know. Mm, but when I reached and there, and, happened. Yes. <laughs> so she directed us. She, she took us to the church. And I can tell you, we went running. Oh, my goodness. Like, we were crazy. I think people who looked at us <laughs> thought we were chasing something. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You were chasing hope. <laughs> And when we reached at the church, you know, this is something that even actually right now, I still remember that episode, that time. It's just fresh in my eyes right now. When we reached at that project, Nakaa Baptist Church, that's my church forever. Oh, I love we it. Found, <laughs> yeah. We found a pan of porridge. I saw that pan of porridge. It was just there on the side. And, you know, the smell was just catching my nose. <laughs> You know, you're hungry and then you have this aroma coming out of something. And then a lady came to me. You know, it's so amazing. I think everybody should go to church because it's church where we find love. It's church where we find hope. Church is very important in someone's life. When I reached there and the lady came running to me, she didn't know me, but she was so kind. You know, you know, when you're poor, Sometimes when people are poor, they don't even look clean. A person who is poor can, I've been in poverty and I know these things, that you can be poor, you have soap at home, but we didn't even have soap, but you wash your, your clothes without soap. You still look dirty. I remember, I think I was dirty. And this lady came to me. She embraced me and she oh asked goodness. me, Yes, she didn't actually know me. She asked me, would you please like a cup of porridge? Really? How did they know I was hungry? And I'm like, yes, of course I want a cup of porridge. So she said, yeah, please. <laughs> There's no reason, don't even ask. I was like, don't even ask. Just give me that right, cup right. of porridge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we went and she gave me this cup of porridge. It was let me tell you, I've even told my kids that this was the best meal I ever had in my life. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I can't imagine. Yes. What made this porridge so special for me was that it was made out of corn. We make porridge out of corn, corn flour, corn, okay. the corn. Okay. So yeah, it's almost it, like grit. It's like what? Like, like grit, like American grit. Have you had that? No. Okay. Well, it's like an oatmeal made out of cornmeal. So. Yeah, I love corn, 
cornmeal, yeah. And yeah. so, okay. what made it so special? It had milk. Mm. Do you know what milk meant to me? <laughs> oh we were so poor that we could not even afford a cocktail cup of milk. So for me, as a child, I grew up knowing that it's only rich kids who take milk, right? But for me to have it in that porridge, I can tell you, I felt like I was a rich kid at that time. I felt like I actually added on some pounds <laughs> because it was so special. So I took my cup of milk and I remember I ran to my mom and told her, oh, mommy, this should be our church. And I actually said, compassion church should be our church. <laughs> mm. And I didn't even know what compassion meant. And I'm like, eh, I love, I love that name compassion because mm. I felt like all the good things came from compassion. First of all, they knew I was hungry. And also yeah. I had hope that actually they might take me back to school like the lady had told me. Hmm. So my mom smiled and said, okay, did you, did you enjoy your cup of porridge? I said, yes. So we went into the land and it was so amazing. They did only give the porridge to the kids. They also gave the porridge to our, our parents. You know, it was so, for me, it was so nice. It was so good to watch my mom also take a cup of porridge because I knew we were both hungry. And yeah. I can tell you, I fell in love with compassion that time. I, I know love that you just share that because yeah. I think when I first learned about compassion or even just this idea of, you know, Americans providing money for children in poverty, that sort of idea is like, well, yeah, we want to help these kids. They need, but there are two things. First of all, God speaks about the widow and the orphan. And too often, I think we separate those and we say, oh, these vulnerable children, these kids, these precious children, children. But God's heart, it's, it's almost always together, the widow and the orphan, because he loves not just children. He loves the vulnerable and he's yeah. the father to the fatherless and he's God, the father to the widow. And so I love that compassion does that. The other thing I love is that you were a potential orphan. If there wasn't a way for your mother to be empowered to care for you and provide for you, that is potentially the fate that you would have come to. And so providing that porridge to your mother is about the heart of keeping families together, not just feeding children, but feeding mm -hmm. families, that families are empowered to be together. Oh, I That's love it so much. So true. That's so true. So for me to see us having that cup of porridge, because I mean, we come from home and we were all hungry. It was so amazing. Yeah. And I kept telling my mom, do you love compassion? Yeah. <laughs> and my, mom, my mom keeps reminding me. She keeps telling me, hmm, you really loved compassion because of that porridge. I yeah. said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the kindness with which it was handed to you the embrace and the love, not just, oh, here's some food, go eat it. But like, no, we want to, we want to embrace you and provide. So beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, I got to know later on that the lady who came to embrace me was, was a staff of compassion. I actually, when I grew up, I went back and, and said thank you to her mm. because, and she didn't even remember me because she was registering so many children. So she didn't remember, but I told her that, that day when I came and you embraced me, it felt so good. 
because sometimes you feel like you're too dirty you know when you're so poor you even lose your self-esteem you feel like you can't associate with certain kids of a certain class so for me to see her come to embrace me I, I felt so special I'm like I look dirty but she doesn't care about that you know oh, and that okay. taught me a lesson in my life that I love children and I love people I don't judge people by their looks even if you're dirty I'll hug you I'll I love people because I know where I came from I might look dirty but actually I'm clean it's just the surroundings around me that are not really making me look that good or make me look that clean so I always love people that me a big lesson in my life. And isn't it also a picture of the heart of God, that God isn't like, get yourself together, get yourself clean, and then come and I'll love you. It's when we're in our mess, and we're dead in sin, and we're stuck in it, that he came and rescued us. And just that woman was teaching you in that moment about the heart of God for you, that, yes. that Jesus came for the sick and the vulnerable. And it's not about get yourself together, get clean, and then you can come. He comes to us when we're still there. That way we and what a beautiful Christ-like picture she was living for you. Mm, that's so true. And so after that, we went into that line, the line that changed my life. When we went <laughs> <into that> line, <laughs> for me, that day was the best day of my life, I can tell you. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. feel <laughs> When I went into that line, they registered my name. And I always say that my name went on the golden list of compassion-assisted children. I love it. So good. Everything changed. I mean, let me tell you, my hope was crushed. I didn't have hope. I was so desperate. I stopped to dream. You know, when you're a kid, you dream. I have my kids here and they keep telling me, one of them keeps telling me, oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a preacher. I want to travel a lot. Lots of dreams. That's how I was. But at that time, I had lost all of them. I didn't have any dreams at that time. But when I got onto that golden list of compassion-assisted children, my life changed. First of all, they enrolled me back into school immediately. I went back to school. That was... Which, so right there, you have hope. You have porridge in your belly. Oh my goodness. You're full and you're going to have food oh and then goodness. you have hope in a moment. The following day, they bring for me a uniform. Do you know what that means? Oh my goodness. A new one. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. They bring for me a uniform. Hey, they bring for me shoes. Oh my God. You must have felt I like have... a million bucks. Oh, I was a rich kid. All my time in compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a rich kid. <laughs> I never felt that poverty again. Oh, no, I was a rich kid. But above all, compassion gave me the greatest gift, Jesus Christ. I didn't know Jesus Christ. We never went to church. But when I went into compassion, every Saturday we had a program at church. Oh, my God. I say these were my best moments. We had great worship. They taught us about Jesus. And one thing I remember was a scripture that changed my life and actually changed my mindset about who I am. And I remember our pastor always told us that your story doesn't determine who you are. No. Mm, So good. 
Yeah, he said that Jeremiah 29, 11, that was the first scripture I ever memorized in my Love head. <laughs> yes. He said that Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that he alone knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future, but not disaster. Those words never went out of my head. And you know, oh my goodness, compassion is so amazing. They knew that we, okay, for us in Africa, you go to school to learn, but the most important thing is English. Most of those parents in Uganda, the poor parents, they say, I never got an education. I'd like my child to learn English. To them, English is very, very important. And that's why they take their children. They don't see beyond the English. They look at English because they know when you know English, your child will go everywhere. Now I'm talking about it the poor opportunities, I guess. Now yeah. opportunities opens everywhere. Wow. Exactly. But you know, with compassion, why I'm saying that it's so amazing. They knew we just go to school to learn English and we are very little. You're just learning, you know, you can't be understanding English. What did they do? They interpreted every single word to us in our local language that we all understand so that we understand the message of the Lord in our local language. Then maybe when we oh grow up, we can learn it in our own way, but at least you learn it in your own local language. That scripture I've told you was read to me in English, but also interpreted in Luganda, mm. in the language mm. that I totally understood. Every time I think about that, I give credit to compassion because they didn't base everything on English. No, they wanted us to understand right, right. and learn it. And you know, when you teach a child in their own language that they really totally understand, everything gets stuck in here. That scripture got stuck in here. And then when I grew up, I wanted to share it with my sponsor. Now I'm going to come to that part of my sponsors. And that's when I went to the Bible to learn it in English so that I'm able to share it with her in English because I knew she didn't understand my local language. So anyway, after giving me that gift of knowing Jesus Christ, that was also a great impact. We shall go there because it's me who introduced Jesus Christ in my home. They didn't know him. And at home, and one thing actually I always encourage parents to do, I know here in America it's done, in, in Uganda, it's just a few parents, especially those who are poor. They don't have the time to sit together and talk. But my mother, even if she was so poor, we could sit in our small house every evening, whether we had food or we didn't have it. We could sit in a circle because we did have a lot in our house. Mm -mm, we didn't have a lot. So we could sit just together in a circle, all the seven of us, our mom and the six of us. And whether we had food, or we had water, or we had nothing. That was the routine of our home. We could sit together in that circle, and then she asked, uh-huh, how, how did your day go? How did it go? What are the challenges you found? What happened? Wow, That's something so I learned beautiful. from from my mother that she had that time for us. And that's the time I got the opportunity to actually always narrate what had happened at the project. I came back with new worship songs, Every single day that we all love it. Yes. So you, here you were, this young disciple, basically discipling your family now. 
and learning God's word and then teaching it to them and learning songs of worship and teaching. So the trajectory of not just your life, but your family's. Now your, your entire family is learning the truth of Jesus. The entire family. Yes. And they enjoyed the songs. Like every evening we could sing those worship songs and then I could become the preacher. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. And you know, at the project they had given us Bibles. So I didn't know how to read the Luganda Bible in the local language. And my mom knew, so she could read. I could tell her, oh, they told us to read from this book. And they to- I taught my mom how to open the Bible. And I tell her, okay, open like this. I told us you do like this. You open it like this. And that's, she grasped it. And then she could open and then she reads for us. And then I could read for them. Those words brought a lot of hope in my family. Just to hear most of those scriptures that I quoted for them, telling them about what the the pastor preached at at the project, it changed. And later on, my mom actually started coming to church and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And even up to date, my my mom is is in her 70s and she hosts a lunch hour fellowship in our home, at at home, in our house. Every day. Yes. The ripple effects are just, unbelievable it it's amazing and so i sponsor so i know what's involved you're talking about immediately you became a rich girl you had your clean uniform and you had a full belly and education and hope and it's 38 dollars. i mean 38 dollars is me not picking up coffee four times a month. It's me putting down the pillow or the candle at Target. $38 in New Jersey or in Maryland is nothing. It's so little. I mean, it is a sacrifice because we we do say no to things to say yes to a child, but Mm. also it's nothing. $38 is world changing for a child like little Nora growing up. Yes. And maybe um, a small inconvenience to me here in New Jersey. It's just thinking about the effect of such a small amount of money is overwhelming. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, when you're poor, you don't even have access to medical care. And with too much challenges in my country where I come from, the medical care is the worst. But I can tell you, compassion took care of my medical care a hundred percent. And I remember as a child, I could go to international hospitals where rich people go. You go and sit with rich kids. (laughs) (laughs) And it was all open to you now. Your mom doesn't have to run around and about to look for the Tylenol of just 25 cents. No, mm-hmm. you are under a pediatrician's hands and they're checking you for everything and compassion is paying. and doesn't care how much it is because those are very expensive hospitals. But again, they also care about your health. They want you to be healthy. You know, I remember. And again, just to go back, we're both mothers. So I always identify with the mother, the gift that was to your mother, the desperation she must have felt of keeping you healthy and when you were unhealthy, not being able to give you and to know in a moment, oh, I don't have to carry this burden anymore. 
I just, anytime a mother is in a desperate position where she can't give her children what you know she wants to be able to give them, and yeah. then for God to provide that, oh my goodness. Let me give you a short story of an experience I had about healthcare that really touched my heart. After my university, I got an opportunity to work with Compassion as the project director. And during my time, I registered so many children in the community, just like how I was. And there is this particular girl who was registered. We didn't know she had, you know, compassion doesn't care whether you're sick or you're, all they want is a child who is not privileged, a child who is hopeless, a child who can, who has lost all hope. So we registered all the children in the community and this particular girl, and I'm just giving you this one, but there were others. This particular child came to the project with a heart issue that nobody knew. And she fell sick on and off and we could take her to hospital until we saw a specialist. Because again, one of the staff of Compassion said, you have to take that child to a specialist. They had a doctor at Compassion who said, no, this child has to go and see a specialist. And when we saw a specialist, they say the child had a heart issue and she, she could not survive if it was not addressed. Let me tell you, when they told us the bill of how much it's gonna cost to operate on this child, oh my goodness. If it wasn't for compassion, this child would have lost her life. Mm-hmm. But told me as a project director, when they told me how much they were going to charge this child, to be operated on, I said, no, it's a lot of money in my heart. I'm like, how are we going to raise all this money? So I write yeah. a request for compassion. I go through the protocols and all the procedures. Yeah. And guess what? Oh, yes, we are going to do that. They took this child oh my to goodness. the best hospital, an international hospital where all specialists were, and this child was operated on today. She's a grown-up girl. She just finished her high school and she'll be joining university. Mm. <laughs> that touched my heart. Oh my and the mom, the, the mom told me if it wasn't for compassion, my child would have died. Yeah. She now and she was worth back. it. She was worth that amount of money. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. So I'm sure she had a sponsor. You mentioned before that you were added to the list. You got a sponsor. I know, you know, we write letters to the children that we sponsor. Did you have any communication or relationship with your sponsor? Oh, my goodness. And actually, let me say this now. I hope they hear this. I'm looking mm. for them. I'm looking for Jeff and Bonnie Mori, who sponsored me. I have chills. Chills. Those people changed my life. And mm. always say I'm what I am today because of their sacrifice. My sponsors were the most amazing people in my life. Actually, I always say that they are the precious asset that God ever gave me in my life because they, every word they said to me felt like an asset to me. My sponsors wrote to me letters and I didn't know how important letters were. I mean, if, if anybody there doesn't know how important a letter is to a child, this is the time for you to understand this. I was so hopeless. And my sponsors wrote to me letters and they said that, Nora, we love you. It's mm. very, 
very, very hard in Uganda to be told you are loved. I had never had anyone tell me they loved me. I first heard that from my sponsor. And it was in a letter. Wow. And wow. then in the letter, they always said, we believe in you. I'm like, how can they believe in me? They don't even know me. Do you know what mm. that means to me? Somebody out there believes in this poor child who lives in Islam. That kept me pushing. And actually, it made me even read hard because I never wanted to disappoint Jeff and Bonnie Mori who believed so much in me. Mm. It, mm. it kept me, I mean, I didn't even want to look at other, what other people do. I wanted to be the perfect child so that I make them so proud. Because if somebody tells you they believe in you, that's big. To me, it was really big. And then they always told me, Nora, you'll make it. Oh my, oh, my goodness. Those are three things that never miss their letters. Jeff and Bonnie Mori told me those three things in their letters. You are going to make it. So I knew mm. I'm going to make it. And the contrast before of you saying that you were hopeless, watching the kids around you who didn't believe that they were going to make it and who you watched not make it. And so to know, oh, no, there can be a different path. These people and God through them are providing the means to that and the faith for me, the love for me, even though it's that message, I just can't even grasp the power of it. So beautiful. It had a lot of power. Those words, mm. those words were the most precious assets, assets in my life. You know, it's very important to have somebody who speaks positivity into your life. Somebody who sure. speaks yep. You know? Yep. Yep. Somebody who tells you they pray for you. My sponsors always prayed for me. And they said, we, we, we are praying for you. We always pray for you. They always took the trouble. Oh my, those letters were the most precious things in my life. I always sat and always read them. Always. Even when I was at university, I could sit in my bed and read those letters and just think about them. I had their pictures. All around my room was full of Jeff and Oh my God. Mom. Till today, I walk with their picture in my handbag. I have chills because to think that there might be two children right now, different places in the world, who have our picture and think of us. It's just, there are so many things that you do that we don't know what the effect is. And we pray, God, please use this. Please use it for your glory and for the good of others. And God, please allow me the opportunity to someday in heaven see what this did. And I feel like you just gave me a glimpse of this money that we've been feeding into these children. And I've been waiting for heaven to see, God, how did you use that? And what did you do? And maybe it was this window into what you're sharing now of them feeling hope and love from strangers across the world and hopefully from the Lord. I have chills. It's amazing to be a part of something like that. And to think that maybe a child is feeling the thing, thinking, carrying the picture, the way that you're describing, it's unimaginable. Yeah, it's true. That sponsorship, you don't know what you're doing. And I want to thank you so much in a very special way for sponsoring a child or children in, in compassion. Because 
it changes. It changed me. I was there. I know what it means. I served as a project director. I registered children. I saw what it did to them. It was just, it was not any difference from what it did for me. I was so hopeless. How would I even have gone to the university if it wasn't sponsorship from people like you? How? I got, I mean, I told you in, the, I, I told you earlier on that we used to get kicked out of the house. But when I went into compassion, the fear of becoming homeless just stopped there, there and then. Because they helped my mother with capital to start up her small business. And when she oh started up that, yes, when she started up that small business, it was so blessed that we could pay our house rent. She could afford to at least get us two meals in the day, which was so precious that initially we could only have zero, even just one. But now we, at least we have lunch, we have dinner, right? And then my brothers were able to go back to school because of that small business that they helped us start up. So, mm. I mean, compassion doesn't change only the child's life. It sure, changes sure. the entire family. The entire family, yeah. I can tell you. Yeah, I read a story by someone named Kristen Welch who loves compassion. And basically, she was sharing that her family had been saving money for many years for adoption. And mm -hmm. they felt like they wanted to serve an orphan child and they were going to do that for adoption. And so I think they had about $40,000, which is what it would cost for an international adoption. And then she learned about compassion. And had this conviction of, and I don't say this to speak against anyone who has adopted internationally, because that is a beautiful thing for a child who doesn't have a family who could care for them. And, and that is sometimes the case. But what she was led to is we could spend this money to bring one child to be a part of our family, or we could spend this money, and I can't remember what the number was, may have been 10 children. We can spend this money to provide for 10 children to remain in their family and to empower their mothers to continue to parent them and to change the entire family to have what they need. And that shifted for me in a moment of, yes, there are times where there's a child who's in an orphanage and does not have family and they can come and be a part of a forever family. And we, you know, adoption is hard and there's loss, but it's beautiful and it's a gift from God. But to be able to keep a family together, to be able to give a mother who loved her children and was working at the hair salon and had to ignore her daughter because she would be broken by the reality that her daughter was starving and to be able to hand that family porridge and uniforms and school and hope. Such an amazing way for us to believe in family preservation, in the fact that God created the family and he loves when the family is protected and kept together. And so you were given the gift, not only of education and food, you were given the gift of your family being able to remain whole and have what they need. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. And also my other siblings to get an opportunity, you know, to go yeah. to school. To, yeah. I mean, it was just amazing. Yeah, that's so true. So, this has been a heavy discussion. I think this is going to go down as the longest interview that I've ever done because I could have stopped. 
So I'm sorry, I probably kept you longer than I told you I was going to promise. But if no, you don't mind, I want to shift a little bit because we have spent a lot of time talking about your childhood. And But we're just two women a few hours away also living life in 2020 in America. And so I want to ask you the questions that I end every podcast with, which is, what are you doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to? So I want to know, Nora, what are you doing right now? What is the hobby that you're pursuing? Right now, I decided to stay home, so I'm a stay-home mom. But okay. as I stay home, I've tried to write my story because I want to publish a book. So mm. I think, yeah, so I'm writing my story, just putting all pieces together and seeing how I can bring it out. So. That's what I'm doing besides taking care of my family. Yeah. Well, I'm a writer as well. And I'm in the process of my book should be published next year. Or so promise me that you send this to me, that I can read it, that I can help you promote it. Because your story <laughs> has just been a gift to me today. And I want as many people to hear and read your book. So thank you. Writers Unite. I know how hard it is to yeah. sit and write when you have kids around. <laughs> And with this, with this pandemic, where kids yeah. have to stay home and do virtual learning, yeah. oh my goodness, exactly. It, it's not easy. No, it's not. Okay, what are you eating? I've been so lucky to find food here that I'm familiar to from from mm. where I come from. Yeah, so in in Uganda we grow a lot of green bananas. We call it matoke. So okay. I I eat that a lot, matoke and beans and also fish the tilapia that's not fillet but the the real tilapia okay yeah and also peanut paste we make it we make sauce out of it here you put it on bread back home we make sauce out of it <laughs> gosh a yeah. peanut sauce okay and what would the sauce be on on matoke or okay kind of okay with rice yeah not on bread <laughs> Oh my goodness, that sounds delicious. Okay, but I can what also are you reading? I can also do it with bread. Yeah. What I'm reading, I like reading stories that have really happened in real life. So I'm reading a book called Finding Me by Michelle Knight. Yeah. And it's a memoir? It's a memoir, yeah. So I like reading about, I've been reading, I first read the first edition, so I'm reading her second one just to know how she picked up with her life and all that. Yeah. Oh, so cool. All right. And what are you watching? Are you a TV person? Unfortunately, no, I don't watch TV. But again, I'm so, I like, sometimes I go to YouTube and, and watch episodes by Focus on the Family. They had a guest recently called Lisa. I can't say the other name. It's kind of difficult for me and I don't want to say it wrongly. Is it Lisa Turker? Yes. I, yes, yes, yes. yes that she's one. promoting a book right now. So I assumed. Oh, she's oh. amazing. She's, oh, yeah, I so love I was, her. I was listening. I was watching her, the podcast they had, giving her story about forgiveness, the messy, yeah. the embarrassing, messy forgiveness. Yeah. And her yeah, story really touched there. Yeah, so sometimes I go to focus on the family and get some of those episodes. Sometimes they have really nice things about marriage, about relationships, about about yeah, parenting. Yeah. Cool. All right. And what are you listening to? I like listening to worship. So I listen to music a lot, especially worship. Yeah. 
my favorite i really listen so much to hill songs and yeah me too how does ugandan worship service compare to an american one it's different but also (laughs) (laughs) it's different in a way but i think i'm now so fond to to the english to the worship here and i'm sorry to say that some people might feel bad from uganda but it's quite different and the music is really very good but i purpose to now try to adopt the worship here so okay okay so, i so love fun. it i'm with you it's there. different it's really different yeah. yeah yeah wow nora what a privilege it's been to talk to you today i'm just so grateful for you like i said before i'm sure revisiting all of this even though there's so much celebration and so much hope and seeing God's hand in it. It's still a painful story and there's a lot of loss, but the way that you celebrate how God was with you in it and the way that you just share gratitude for the generosity of others. And I know that so many people are going to be touched and I hope I'm going to say this shamelessly. I hope that they're going to be touched and also compelled to stand up for children just like you were who they can provide that golden ticket, like you said. They can be the photo that's carried around. By the grace of God, they can play a part in a story like yours. And so I know that you are going to inspire, encourage, and my prayers convict everyone who hears this, that God would use, that we would all step up for vulnerable children and really partner with compassion in this. So, Nora, thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you so much, too. Wow. What a gift to hear from Nora and to hear her story, to hear a story of hope, to hear about what one family can do to make such a huge, meaningful difference in the life of a child. My family moved forward with sponsoring two children many years ago, but I have to be honest, right now, I am following the directions that I'm about to share with you. And that is the opportunity to provide the gift that this family provided to Nora of education, of food, of hope, of hearing the message of Jesus Christ. We can be a part of someone's story the way that Nora's sponsors were a part of her story. Compassion is an amazing organization. We are so careful about who we donate to as a family, because we want to make sure that they're walking in integrity, that it's done ethically, that our money is going where we think it's going. And so we have donated $38 a month to helping provide for a child. And we know that 80% of that goes directly to a child, to the things that Nora shared about. And so I'm going to invite you right now to not just leave this episode thinking, wow, that was a moving story. Wow, that was so beautiful. But well, what does this have to do with me? What does it mean for me sitting in my home or my car right now to hear the story of someone, to know that this is the reality of many children around the world, and to know that I can, you know, as I said in the interview, give up a pillow at Target or give up stopping at Starbucks a few times, and have such a life-altering impact on a child. Here's what you can do. 
you can go to compassion.com slash real mom and see real pictures of real children just like Nora who have similar stories, who are in need, who we can play a part in providing for that child and also what we believe in, which is families remaining together in mothers being able to provide for their children we can play a part of that. Compassion.com slash real mom, or even easier potentially, pull out your phone, dial 83393 and text real mom. So pick up your phone, 83393, text real mom, and guess what you're going to get? A picture of a child just like Nora who is hopeless, who is potentially feeling that same way and feeling hunger, maybe lost a father, maybe is waiting for someone like us to come and provide this gift of education, of food, of partnership throughout their life, of providing opportunity and hope. If you do this, you will get to, as a family, really experience the joy of of loving on a child, writing letters, and giving those messages of hope. We're also, Compassion is going to send you Another thing for you to do as a family, 25 Days of Advent Book by Josh and Christy Straub. So you can go through that together at this holiday season. Also at Compassion.com slash Real Mom is going to be set up extra content for you to listen to just with your children. Nora spent 15 minutes telling her story of a child growing up in Uganda for your child growing up in America to hear and listen and to be able to see how they are so similar, and yet their stories and lives are so different. And hopefully to build compassion into your children that they can really start to understand what this donation and these letters really mean. So I hope that you were encouraged. I hope that you were inspired, but I hope that you don't stay there. I hope that this conversation, this podcast leads you to a place of conviction and action of moving forward for a child like Nora, who's waiting right now, who is waiting for the golden ticket, as she shared, of opportunity and education and food and hope. So please partner with me and Compassion. It's compassion.com slash real mom or text 83393-REAL-MOM. Thank you, friends, for listening. And I pray that we all move forward in supporting children and families in need. Thanks for listening to The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us in all the places, realmompodcast.com for our landing page, where we'll connect you to the guests and all the links and info from this episode. On Facebook, search Real Mom Podcast. And on Instagram, at Real Mom Podcast. Thanks for listening. Praises to my King. You are the light.